says we're live. Really? Well, your computer is much faster than mine, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> much faster than mine. What I think happens is it goes to YouTube first. So hello and welcome to everybody watching on YouTube. And then I think it goes to LinkedIn second. Um, I think that's kind of how it works. And yeah, it looks as though we are. Yeah, we're live on LinkedIn. Cool. Well, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to VUX World Live, the rundown. Second week in a row. We're on a roll. In fact, this is probably the fifth or sixth week of consecutive broadcasting on LinkedIn Live, I think. Which yeah, I think uh, it's a streak, yeah. Yeah, we're on a streak. We're on a roll. Wicked. So I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims. And as always, I am joined by your host, Dustin Coates, who is over there in France. Paris. All right, Dustin? I'm doing okay. How are yourself, Kane? Yeah, good, good. Very well. Got the merch out today. Sun's shining. I'm kind of lining up a beer after this. Got some, uh, got some, um, like, craft beers delivered. I've been drinking absolute rubbish every weekend for the last, like, two months. So tonight I'm going to have a nice craft beer. Uh, and we're joined by Claire Mitchell as well. Second week concurrently. Claire, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad to have you. What is your tipple of choice, Claire? Ah, uh, I'd have to say a nice orange wine. Oh, orange wine. That's a new one on me. What about you, Dustin? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a little boring. I gave up drinking uh, a while back, but back when wow. I did, um, honestly, just uh, I have a soft spot for high life. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, mean, I know it's not a good beer, even if it is a champagne of beers, but... Uh, <laughs> Just maybe nostalgically, I think it's a it's a good choice. Nice. Well, the 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 US uh, when 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 I went to Project Voice, I had a, a good conversation with Eric Olson, who is a fellow Alexa champion of yours, Justin. Um, and we were talking about the the premium beers in America versus premium beers in the UK. And apparently, in America, Stella is like a really premium beer, whereas in the UK, Stella is like. You know, you don't drink it unless you have to kind of thing. <laughs> but the craft beer movement has made a big uh, impact here as well, especially upstate New York. There's breweries everywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's taken off all over the world. So tonight I've got one lined up and I'm going to have one. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so on with the show. If you're just tuning in, if you're just joining us and you've never witnessed the marvelous of uh, the majesty or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Majesty. That's the word I'm looking for. Majesty is a cool word. Majesty is a cool <laughs> word. I think I might use that from now on. The majesty and majesty of VUX world. Uh, then welcome. We're broadcasting live from the isolation, inspiration, incubation and ideation inflation station and today we're going to bring you a rundown of all of the news all of the happenings all of the interesting stuff that's been going on in the voice technology and conversational ai industry so where do you want to start dustin we we had a few stories this morning now we've got an absolute ton so you know what do you want to do how do you want to, how do you want to start yeah i think the first one maybe came from claire the google's read along claire you want to introduce this Oh yeah, I thought this was so cool. Um, so Google launched Read Along, which is an app that uh, helps with literacy. And so kids can read along with the app and it um, progresses the app or the story in the app and helps them with pronunciation and other things. It also comes in a couple of different languages, so it could potentially help with um, learning a second language. And it's just a really neat way to think about interactive education um, that provides audio and visual feedback to speech. So I, I really like this. Is this, Dustin, essentially, have, have Google took the concept of what Soapbox offer and put it into a first-party situation? I was just wondering that. I was just wondering <laughs> that. I think Soapbox definitely does, uh, it has a lot more focus, for sure, uh, and perhaps does more than, than Google is going to be targeting. But, but certainly this goes along with what uh, Patricia was saying in regards to here's this opportunity where uh, parents may not be able to help people help their kids learn to read or, um, you know, uh, immigrant families, for example, you know, my wife and I are here in France and we get by with our French, but we're not going to pass along uh, good spoken French to our kids or a good uh, reading of French to our kids. And so this might be an opportunity for us to plop them down in front of the smart speaker and say, uh, Google's going to be your teacher today. So interestingly, this isn't um, presented as an action. It's, it's a standalone app on mobile. 
um, which I thought was sort of interesting. But I think it's it's also showcasing a great time to um, bring new applications through voice for educational purposes. And we've already seen some of these, like Alexa has blueprints for flashcards and creating a quiz um, without even needing to code. And the novel effect has something sort of similar for literacy where you read and you get sound effects of the story. Mm-hmm. But while folks are stuck at home and um, parents, like as you mentioned, are trying to figure out how to teach their kids and not necessarily um, being able to juggle both work and being right next to them the whole time, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Mm. It's um, it's interesting. It almost because do you remember when they had? Did you see the the partnership they did with Disney when mm-hmm. they had the Disney stories? And it was almost like you would read the book with the kid. And when you got to the point where you were talking about a lion, then it would play like the lion roaring sound effect. So it's almost as if that was like the first iteration. I know that was more entertainment based, but it's like, can we get the technology to kind of hang with us throughout an experience? And then almost it sounds as though they've like added in the kind of the natural language understanding and and the speech recognition side of things to be able to hone in on, on a kid's voice and then pick up on whether they're pronouncing things correctly. So it's almost like an iteration of that read-along feature isn't it yeah absolutely Hmm. that is cool uh yeah so next up we have any other any other thoughts on that dustin no i think uh i think it's a very interesting one and and like like you said moving on uh, going from the kids to to the adults and and the money as well we uh, had a lot of uh fundraising announcements coming through recently right um Mm. just looking at the list uh, vernacular.ai raises $5.1 million. Um, HR uh, AI system Paradox raised $40 million. That's from VoiceBot. Uh, Converse Now uh, raised $3.25 million. And Omelia raised $20 million uh, as well. So it sounds like uh, a, lot of, a lot of money heading into the voice space. I remember um, there was a report last year that was a big to do about it was something like uh, a billion dollars or more heading into voice. And a lot of that was um, Spotify purchasing Gimlet. Uh, but still, uh, it's, it looks like there are companies that are, that are raising money and building companies based on this technology. Claire Kane, what were your takeaways? For me, it sort of goes back to something we touched upon last week, which is this acceleration toward uh, of voice applications that's been propelled by the situation that we're in right now. Um, if we look at some of the use cases, there's the one that's about contactless food delivery, which is obviously uh, really relevant at this moment. And then some of the other ones are almost more about um, sort of triage and um, supplementing the customer service agents capabilities with uh some some automated um, bot capabilities. And so I think that they all sort of point to um, the need that this moment in time is uh, surfacing and the solutions that voice can provide. I don't know where they're getting the money from because apparently we're supposed to be heading into some kind of recession. (laughs) Someone's just dishing out 20 million pound checks and stuff. I think we're in the wrong business. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting that it's getting kind of so much attention. It it almost goes through peaks and troughs, doesn't it? Like it was probably maybe a few months earlier last year when the kind of, um, you know, the the thingy acquisition. In fact, actually, the the, um, the Spotify acquisition might have been a little bit earlier than that but i'm thinking about like when sonos acquired snips and stuff like that it's almost like almost like this time of year seems to be the the kind of good year to kind of get involved um but what i what i found interesting is what with one of those stories is uh, and claire you touched on it in terms of automating some of the hr processes and stuff is that we, we, you know humans have always kind of gone and gravitated towards stuff that saves them time haven't they and if you look at all of the innovations and all of the technology and all of the apps that have gone on to be multi-billion pound uh, apps and whatnot aside of Instagram and stuff it's, a lot of them have been based on, on what saves people time you know Uber mm-hmm. prime example saves your time any retail based shopping experience like eBay saves you a huge amount of time car boot sales are kind of non-existent because of eBay um, so it's it's interesting when you look at that HR one you think well how, why, why would 
would someone give £40 million to a kind of an AI that automates a tiny small part of the HR process? But that's why, is because it's saving people time and it's, it's cutting out those unwanted manual mundane jobs that people would rather not do. You want HR professionals and, and HR managers to be vetting applicants, you know, preparing and doing interviews and, and all of those kind of things rather than the administration of organising a meeting, for argument's sake. And so it's interesting how um, to, to observe the money flowing in the direction, as it always has done, of you know technologies that will save us time and help us focus on what's more important. The thing that did occur to me with the HR one in particular is um, how much transparency there is between the person who's speaking with this HR bot and um, do they know that, are they uh, told that they're speaking with a bot or do they really think that they're speaking with an HR representative? Because obviously that's a very sensitive time and um, you wouldn't want to have somebody feel like they um, had a connection and then realize that they were talking to a bot. So I'm just curious what you guys think about that. Well, Claire, have you ever used X.AI, the scheduling service? I'm familiar with it, but I haven't used it. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the other end of, of someone using that service, but uh, I know the first time that I saw that CC'd, I had no idea it was a bot. And, and certainly in doing some scheduling there, you can actually see, um, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but you can actually see the email chain that this bot is having with this person who's scheduling on your behalf. So um, mm. if you're listening and you, you aren't familiar with this, XLAI as a service, you CC it, Amy at XLAI, Andrew at XLAI. And just through natural language, you can say, hey, Amy, can you schedule a meeting with Kane and, and Claire and I for next week? And I'll try to figure that out. Um, and you will have this back and forth. Kane might, well, Kane, I know you've already signed up, so I'll just automatically know the best time for you. But Claire, if you're not signed up, um, it will have this back and forth email with you. And you can see that thread um, if you go on the website. Uh, again, not sure how you feel about that, but you can see that thread. And what I've noticed is that a lot of people I'm not sure they know that that's a bot because you see the, the way they're talking and they go, Amy, sorry, I, I actually can't do that time. Uh, can you please do this instead? Uh, and so there's not that transparency. However, on the flip side, it is a magical, magical service when it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, I've done a lot of hiring in the past and that's always the worst part is when you have to schedule those, schedule those interviews, schedule those screens and, um, it's just a hassle, but, but certainly, yeah, especially for, for hiring, I think it's important that, you know, I, I think I mentioned last week, I don't really care if, if uh, duplex, for example, if that's a bot or not, if I don't know, but for hiring, it does definitely sort of feels a little bit different because there is that power differential there. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone looking for a job and a company that has a job to offer. I think there needs to be a, maybe a little bit more sympathy in that situation. Kane, what about you? Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I actually was fooled by X.AI the first few times that someone had used it kind of with me. Um, and I didn't really know what the situation was and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't I didn't really mind. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really bother me. But I can see how, you know, if you are, um, <laughs> you're applying for a job with a, with a company and then you end up building a relationship with the person. Because often, actually, when you are in that situation, it might actually be the person who you've been communicating with that might like welcome you at the door and stuff like that and take you through to the interview room and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting, it's another area where the kind of ethics of this stuff come into play and one of those kind of things where you think, well, does that, does the, it's called paradox, I think, does it introduce itself beforehand and and to tell you that it's a bot first and then carry on. Or I almost think that doing that also, it could potentially lower the expectations of the user yeah. and mm. then not lead to that kind of wow moment when you find out that it's been a bot all along, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting design consideration um, going forward as we interact with more and more automated systems. Mm. Yeah, I think I think going back to that power different drill as well. Um, I remember in the past where I applied for a job, just sort of at a whim, and then they got back to me and they said, "Okay, well, um, we have this setup where you record yourself giving answers to our questions, and then we're, we'll review your video or or whatever." And and I stopped the process right there because it 
it didn't feel fair at that point. Uh, They were asking me to dedicate maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes to this. And it's the same thing for the scheduling as well. Uh, If you're asking me to go through the effort of scheduling something, maybe I want you to dedicate a little bit of time as well. Uh, it seems a little unfair to say, well, I'm going to have my bot handle this for me, and but I'm going to have you do the manual part of it. I don't know. It, it, scheduling is not fun, so I wouldn't say that. But I think if it bleeds into, okay, now we're going to have a bot interview you, that's at a point where I think maybe it goes a little too far because, again, uh, you're asking someone uh, to put themselves out there and, and spend some time for your company, and you're not willing to spend that time back. So... Again, sometimes the technology can work, but it shouldn't be something that you should go with, in mm. my opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. well put, well put. Um, so we're all in lockdown. Uh, we've kind of almost like on the on the teetering edge of maybe coming out of it at some point. Who knows? The UK has started to say that now you can kind of, you know, you can go out as often as you want uh, for exercise purposes. Um, you can go to work if you can't work from home, providing you can do it safely, etc. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the situation is over there in uh, in Paris and New York, but still the, the trend in terms of the technological advancements that we're seeing, the innovation that we're seeing happen all around conversational AI and AI in general kind of fueled by COVID as, as seen another few stories COVID related uh, this week. And one of them is about kind of getting the tone right and, and automated copy generation needing to be retrained during this kind of phase because people's behaviors are changing a little bit. Claire, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that one? Yeah. So this came out of a story, um, around how our strange behavior in this moment is messing up with our AI models that are looking for maybe anomalies in, in, um, in some of our normal patterns, but now it's mass anomaly that's sort of um, messing things up. So it starts talking about uh, sort of supply chain and inventory management and um, how AI algorithms that are um, sort of looking at um, how much to order this month based on the same month last year are getting it really wrong because the consumption patterns have changed along the same lines. There are, uh, um, uh, copy generating algorithms that are used in either email marketing or social marketing that need to be sort of modified so that they don't use sensitive words like going viral or be prepared or stock up, uh, because those things have slightly different meaning now. So I think in all of these cases, It's pointing out, number one, how reliant we are on systems that are becoming invisible to us. And number two, how um, keeping a human in the loop and how manual um, sort of shifts in in these sorts of instances are sometimes necessary in order to correct when things go awry. Mm, It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, the, the the various so when it comes to people and what they need from companies is that's obviously changed and you can look at you know contact center call volumes being being one is that like everyone's kind of ringing up basically it's like they just want some reassurance and some certainty don't they uh, and I think half of the difficulty of of things like this is that because you can't necessarily forecast for it COVID almost come out of nowhere then there's a lockdown the week after that it's like all your businesses need to close so it's kind of like it's difficult to actually predict that kind of stuff isn't it you know and and it's like yeah i don't know it's 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 one of those kind of uncharted territory moments where you kind of need to have all hands on deck and and just kind of go with the flow almost you know mm-hmm. Would you it just sort of shows everything's connected yeah yeah what do you think justin yeah, I don't, I don't have too many thoughts about this. I think it's interesting uh, to see how something that relies on so much data, uh, machine learning, AI, uh, can falter when there's something new uh, thrown into it. Uh, at the same time, it almost feels like poorly trained machine learning has been creating a lot of this copy recently. Um, you know, just sort of jokingly, in these unprecedented times, you know, we're all in this together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, if, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly interesting to see. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about this last week as well. Um, th- things won't necessarily flip 
they might just accelerate and, and we have control over what the future is. But yeah, certainly uh, these kinds of shocks, these kinds of once in a century, you certainly can't anticipate these uh, automatedly. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, COVID as well, there were a few that were on that track of uh, trends that may get accelerated or, or things that might take a slightly different path. Uh, there's a few, one saying that uh, stores may use voice assistance to transform shopping moving forward. Uh, and that voice assistants like Alexa and Siri are uh, going to be increasingly used or already are. Um, startups, uh, there's uh, a startup specifically that are doing medical voice assistance uh, for a Zoom world is what the, the title was. And then France as well, uh, also launching an AI voice assistant to help coronavirus patients. The the first one is definitely a pet interest of mine. I've spoken about this before, which is stores using voice assistants to, to change how people shop. Claire, mm-hmm. do, you, do you see this happening? Do you anticipate that this is going to be something when we come back that people are going to want to use in a retail space? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about how it might come about. I think voice assistants in dressing rooms make a lot of sense. Um, you know, we've all had the experience where we go into the dressing room and then there's constantly like a knock at the door. Like, are you done yet? <laughs> like, how's that fitting? And maybe some folks are, are into that, but I think it could be a sort of streamlined, uh, streamlined experience. If you have a voice assistant in the dressing room that you can ask for different sizes, um, that alerts the person who is, um, working there and then they can bring it to you. But I think also on the operations side for folks that are working in retail, being able to speak to a voice assistant rather than um, look at the mobile app when they're checking inventory or um, uh, any other sorts of tasks that they need to perform can be performed more quickly without touching anything um, by asking a voice assistant for something. So those are two areas where I think it might come about. And then another one that I've spoken about before is the idea of bringing some of the retail experience into the home through um, really branded um, unboxing experience. So you order something to your house, you open up, have a CTA, and then you can get this um, moment uh, where you interact with the brand through a soundscape or instructions or something else. Hmm. Did you, have you seen, did you see the, uh, the Talisco whiskey skill? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's in America actually, um, but say it now um, created this this Talisker whiskey tasting skill, and that's kind of the idea. Not necessarily un- unboxing, but you'd buy the whiskey. It's got the the signs on the box and stuff. Just that, just ask Alexa or whatever. Um, and then essentially, you when you invoke it, it takes you through like a guided whiskey tour, mm-hmm. and there's someone from the brewery and stuff like that talking you through it and coaching you through tasting it and stuff like that. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty. I can see that. I can see that happening more and more. Is it's almost using interactive audio to personalize and augment the kind of product experience, isn't it? Which is mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. On the retail experiential in the home. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's turning an average product, an average ordinary thing, into an experience. You know, and that's kind of what brands are sort of looking for at the moment. Is like a lot of products are the same. You know, people have the, their their own kind of favorite whiskies and stuff, but ultimately, you know, it's strong dark alcohol <laughs> so there's not a huge amount I mean whiskey connoisseurs will probably be killing me right now because there probably is um, but that's one of the ways that you can kind of create a differentiation in a market that is you know a little bit saturated perhaps um, but I think there's also the the thing about how people are not and this is something I, I genuinely kind of do believe that people are not going to want to touch quite as much stuff when after this is over there's even talks now about it not ever being over and it might just be like a seasonal thing now coronavirus where every winter it comes back or whatever uh, slightly different but i think the people will definitely not want to touch as much stuff um I'm, I'm even getting to the point not not because of covid but pre-covid i was kind of like you know like going into like public bathrooms and rolling your sleeve down to open doors and stuff like that because you don't know who's touched it um my, my wife is just mad for that kind of stuff so i think some of it's rubbed off on me um but i can see how returning back to normality 
your people are not going to want to go around and touch the McDonald's menu screens and the Argos touch screens to see what's in stock and the click and collect kiosks and all that kind of stuff because you never know who's touched it and you don't know what's lurking around anymore. So I think that there's definitely a practical side to it as well, as well as the experiential side. There's definitely a practical side to making people's um, experiences in store more personalised and you can scale that as well. You know, there's only a certain amount of staff that you can afford to have on on the shop floor at any one time, but you can scale something as, as, as straightforward as digital screens um and you can also help people you know be safer and be more productive and, and have a better experience so yeah i think the per- personalization point is is a good one uh, it'll be interesting to see it as maybe retailers realize that they um, need to have a smaller footprint um then that experience of going into the store might be really really personalized to the individual or few individuals that might be in the store at once hmm. yeah Hundred um, percent. So one of the one of the uh, other things in there, which is which is uh, about France launching an AI voice assistant to help coronavirus patients. So this is we've seen some things around. Um, like uh, Amazon, for example, Siri, Google Assistant. First of all, they took all of the coronavirus actions and skills down, and then slowly but surely they've kind of in, put stuff in there, which is all about helping people uh, at the at the first part of do I have coronavirus or not, and kind of like guiding them around what the symptoms are and stuff like that. But this one, uh, Dustin, is is all about actually helping coronavirus patients. Is it? Yeah, coronavirus patients virus patients or people who think that they have coronavirus, I believe. Um, and so you can take the questionnaire and, and fill that out and I guess give them your information and then send to send to health authorities. So it's, I believe it's, I believe it's a phone number uh, if I, if I understand correctly. And it was actually built partially by a research institute University of Paris and the French railway company as well. So wow. a few um, How uh, that? Inter- interesting bedfellows <laughs> for sure. Although um, uh, if we think about sound design, the SNCF is uh, among the best of the best for that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, one more way for people to, to do that. It makes a lot of sense as well. I, I saw at the pharmacy when I went a couple of days ago, that they had this, uh, they had signs for this up, and it makes sense. If you're an older, if you're an older patient, you don't have a computer, you don't have obviously a smart speaker as well. Uh, you don't want them calling the emergency services just to see if they have coronavirus. So if there's a dedicated line that they can reach out to, uh, it's, a, it's a good way to do it. Mm. It's putting the technology in places where people already are, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've spoke about this a, a number of times before as well, which is that, you know, as 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 fantastic as the platforms are, Google Assistant, Amazon Alexa, there's still a half of, half of the battle of of kind of getting users onto them platforms is that you quite often have to bring them across because the chances of them stumbling across you on them platforms is slightly, uh, you know, less common. You know, you talk about discoverability all the time and stuff like that. Whereas what I like about this, uh, and I'm always keen on, on you know, uh, phone lines and text messages and, and all that kind of stuff is because it puts the, the same technology into places where people already are. And so, you know, along the lines of that HR kind of bot that we've been speaking about where, you know, you might end up being in, in, in a kind of exchange with it without really realizing it's a bot, but it still does the job. That's kind of the same sort of thing. If you phone, if you phone up something, all you want is you know you you want whatever it is that you need at the time, isn't it? And, and whether it's a human that gets there probably depends on how complex it is. But if you phone up something and you get a bot on the other end of the line and it still works, then it works, you know. So it's like I'm a fan of trying to put this technology into a place where people are already at, uh, which then helps I think with with adoption and, and building confidence in the technology in other areas, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think also particularly because this um, virus uh, affects certain populations that are a little bit more vulnerable than others, um, it's important to have it accessible in places where those populations might um, be able to get to. Mm -hmm. So it's really smart. As with anything, the important thing is um, the quality of the information and how often it's updated, especially now when those sorts of that sort of information and symptoms tracking is changing day to day. Um, so I'll be curious to know how they keep that 
updated. Yeah. Going back to what you brought up earlier, Kane, about uh, Amazon, Google removing skills and actions related to coronavirus. And I know they're, they're letting some in now, but definitely high quality ones. Uh, you and I have had conversations about it, but Claire, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts. Do you feel like Google and Amazon made the right choice in removing these third party skills and actions? Or do you think that they uh, were too heavy handed on this? I, I lean more towards um, made the right choice. Uh, obviously, the uh, authenticity of the information and the accuracy of the information sort of precedes all other um, concerns in this sort of instance. Um, and I was actually working on uh, one that was potentially going to be deployed on, um, on Alexa, uh, which was not able to move forward, but ended up uh, being sort of a chatbot on a website. Um, and so I, I think in those sorts of cases, you sort of weigh the pros and cons. And ultimately, it sounds like they decided to go with um, a larger authoritative voice and um, link to CDC or uh, other places where um, that information could at least be unified. What do you guys think? Yeah, we've kind of we've we've spoke. I think we spoke about it when it first happened, and and I felt a little bit like it was just one of those coincidental things where like I'd put uh, I'd noticed that Google had took some stuff away, but then at the time Amazon hadn't. And we had a conversation about it, didn't we, Dustin? We were like, well, what's going on here? Like, Google's took some down, Amazon haven't. So I thought, well, let's just test the other ones on, on Alexa. And they were absolutely rubbish. You know, terrible. Weren't they? You know, I think, you know, they were absolutely rubbish. Like, some of them were out of date. Some of the, none of them were given the right numbers of cases and stuff like that. And they were just really, really bad. Um, so I've done, so we do a vlog on LinkedIn every day. And uh, the, that video for that day was like, oh my God, look at the state of these. They're all a lot of rubbish. Like, Google's took them down. Amazon should take them down as well. This is absolutely ridiculous. And then that night, they took them down, <laughs> which is just like, I was, I was, I felt a bit, obviously, it was nothing. I very much doubt it was anything to do with, with, with our kind of content and stuff but it was just like really coincidental and I started feeling a bit guilty because I know like Terry Fisher had an app and it was apparently really good and it got taken down and he was tweeting about it saying it had been taken down and stuff I was thinking ah it's a bit a bit harsh but ultimately there was so much rubbish there and at the time it was so early that nobody really knew the full extent of how bad this was going to be whether it was going to be right. really really bad or whether it, was, it wasn't going to be too bad and it was just like so I think that the, the choice to do that I think was was well-timed and I think in hindsight still the right kind of choice but it turns out that I mean, now is probably a good time to allow it because the, the situation's calmed down a little bit but it could have yeah. been like catastrophic you know the, the situation with COVID and stuff like that so yeah but also the risk to exposure was changing so quickly it was like um you know have you traveled to x y and z country and then the next day it was have you gone outside <laughs> you know so um those sorts of things were just shifting so so rapidly yeah. yeah, maybe moving on to some lighter news. Can you have some Katy Perry news for us? Yes, I'm a I'm a Katy Perry fan. Not, uh, <laughs> I wish. Although I probably will be as soon as Artie gets a bit older and he starts listening to that rubbish. But uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so so uh, what was interesting I found with this is is that Katy Perry's new album was announced on Alexa, which um, in and of itself, unless you're a hardcore Katy Perry fan, might not be that interesting. But what is kind of interesting is how, um, so Katy Perry's got quite a bit of reach, you know, quite a large fan base. And so, you know, doing something like that is a fairly decent publicity kind of stunt, if you like. Um, but what I think is, is kind of more interesting is the process of how to go about setting up that kind of launch with Amazon. Because we hear quite a lot uh, for like companies and, and, and brands and stuff like that who kind of want to use Amazon's reach to uh, promote something uh, and, and get their kind of buy-in and support in, in promoting something, um, which that's like the holy grail, isn't it? You know, every single time we've spoke to anybody about discoverability, every single person has said, get into the Amazon newsletter and get a banner on the front page of the app. And that solves it basically. Uh, but apart from that, you know, Amazon's, you know, assistance, that's the, that's the potential of it essentially. But, um, so the, I think the value with the Katy Perry thing, so I'm, I think about it in terms of value. So who, who's got the leverage and where is the value? So Amazon nine times out of 10 have the leverage because it's their platform and they have access to the audience. But every now and then, 
brands that that are of a certain stature have the value, which I think Katy Perry does because of her international reach. And so, when if there's anyone listening who is who is at kind of those kind of companies that want a little bit of assistance from Amazon, it's really all about that leverage versus value. So, what have you got that you can leverage, and what value are you bringing to the table? Do you have a huge audience that will pull people in to the Alexa ecosystem? Have you got something that is good enough to make somebody buy an Echo just so they can interact with it? Like the Disney stories on Google Assistant is a prime example. You know, I could imagine paying 30, 30 quid, $30 for a Google Home if I didn't have one so that I could have that experience with my son of reading along that story. And so it's just, it's not the new story that's, that's, that's kind of important. I think there's just a, a sub story in there about working with Amazon and having that relationship with Amazon in order to get you to, to get that kind of promotion because ultimately Amazon want to either sell devices or increase engagement, reach new markets or increase engagement with existing customers. So that's what you need to bring to them if you want to expect them to do anything with you. Any yeah, thoughts? I thought this was really interesting. This, it was just announced through Alexa though, right? It's not like the album is dropping on Alexa and that's the only way you can I, get access to it. I don't believe so. I think it was just a publicity stunt of just announcing it, yeah. Yeah, so I found that interesting because um, if it were the latter, you would um, think that that would bring a lot of people into the Alexa ecosystem that if they aren't already. Um, and this one um, just sort of used the uh, Alexa brand to make a PR announcement or a PR splash. Um, I was really interested in the idea of like a new way of dropping an album or a new way of dropping a product. And we've seen some examples of this, both in the voice ecosystem with the Nike drop um, or in other um, areas like Travis Scott just did a concert in Fortnite. And I don't know what the overlap is between Travis Scott's fans and Fortnite players. um, But it certainly drew my attention to Fortnite. And um, uh, there are a bunch of, sort of product drops through AR that are uh, getting creative with what's possible there. Um, but I, I wondered why she didn't make the decision or they didn't make the decision to have the album drop through um, Alexa or at least have some exclusive content or maybe that's the plan. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's the, there has been, I'm pretty sure, I'm just trying to search for it now. I'm pretty sure that an artist has released an album or a song specifically on Alexa before. I was I looking see. for that too. I found yeah. something about you two, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure someone has. But um, and I also don't want to point fingers at whoever designed this, but if you look at the Echo Show version of what Alexa says, there, there is grammar issues all over that. <laughs> you know, sentences not starting with capital letters and things like that. This is just basic stuff. But um, but yeah. Anyway, interest, interesting, uh, interesting stunt, if you like. And by the way, those those of you who are tuning in on uh, on LinkedIn, uh, if you would like to kind of drop us any comments or ask us any questions, do uh, do drop us a line in the chat, and we will do our best to answer it. Um, so. Wrapping up, then we, we're kind of uh, we're kind of we've got a couple of a couple of other other um, stories, but I think that the the most interesting one of them all is that speech tech speech recognition techniques are helping to predict volcano behaviour, which is crazy. How someone explain to me what on earth is going on here? Yeah, I, I'm the one who added this link. I don't believe, or I don't recall exactly all the details, but it has something to do with uh, using seismic signals because apparently, apparently, uh, volcanoes are difficult to predict, uh, but there are maybe little rumblings, if you will, uh, that will say, hey, a volcano is about to go off. And so the, the researcher quoted here mentions that speech and seismic signals share important properties so i imagine that's probably watching out for those those signals it reminds me as as well of some people who uh, i don't remember all the things they did i believe maybe they even rigged together some hardware that they put put in in forest and rainforest that will listen for sounds and are trained on the sounds of chainsaws. Uh, and so this will actually alert someone, whomever, that it hears chainsaws. So it's the idea that there's illegal logging going, 
logging, uh, cutting down a forest going on. So it's using, again, AI and machine learning and a lot of the same technologies that uh, I guess you can consider the chainsaw is a bit of the wake word in that case. Uh, it's using a lot of that same technology that we're seeing in our houses as well. Wow. That's, I imagine it's something to do with the vibrations, isn't it? Because that's mm-hmm. all sound is, is just vibration of air molecules. It must be something to do with some kind of synergy between the vibrations. Sorry. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the, maybe a good way to think about it is, uh, you know, when we're speaking, we've, I mean, you know this, Kane, because you have a background in sound. Mm. And, you know, when you speak, uh, like there's a certain pattern of what mm. that is. The where, wave. Yeah, with the wave, exactly. Whereas the chainsaw, it's going to be like, much larger and maybe like uh it's going to have a very different uh different wave than, than when we speak uh and, and same same for when you speak or when clara speaks or when i speak uh to identify us as well so all you have to really know is okay what's what wave what, what does that look like uh when uh, same thing when with ai when you're trying to not same thing but a very similar thing when you're trying to predict is, a, is this a dog or a cat uh you have to go okay well is this is this wave is this a, a chainsaw or is it a, a mockingbird or something like that mm. frequency analysis as well isn't it so they're just looking at vibration signals and sort of correlating at that with activity that might uh be associated with subsequent eruptions i'd be curious if they're if they're also looking at um um, these different vibration patterns as almost like parts of speech. Like when these vibration patterns are put together, that signals um, this sort of eruption might happen versus a different combination of those same vibration signals. I'd be uh, interested to see how um, closely the analogies get to each other. Mm. Didn't you, you add something, we didn't get to it last week, but you put in there, Clara, uh, another sort of story which was around identifying other types of instruments based on the audible output of them, wasn't it? Oh, I'm not that? sure which one that's referring to. I have a personal project that I'm interested in. Is there, was, that- there was, no, no, there was a link. Let me see if I'm, oh, my, my computer's going to be slow. It might take a while to get there. But there was another story last week where it was something to do with recognizing objects based on, um, based on the audio of it, based on what it sounded oh, like. I'll have to check oh. back. Um, I, I put something last week about sonification. That of- might be it. What's, what, uh, yeah, so sound used to convey data. Yeah, exactly. Oh, data is communicated through audio first channels. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can do it both directions. But um, the idea that we'll be increasingly engaged with audio first content without the aid of a screen uh, makes me super, super passionate about um, translating the idea of a data visualization into a sound first experience, which is sometimes called sonification. And I think we've spoken about this a little bit before, but um, recently the... uh, coronavirus strain was sonified so that um, researchers could listen to it and sort of identify patterns that might not easily be recognized by reading numbers or um, looking at a graphic. So it's just sort of an interesting different way of of consuming information. But I love these stories like the volcano one, the um, translating data into sounds, this sort of synesthesia of finding unexpected solutions translating uh, knowledge from one domain into another. I think there's always going to be magic when you sort of make that sort of crossover. Have, have any of you seen Midi Sprout? No. So it's, uh, it's, it's a company that essentially takes the, uh, the vibrations and movements of plants. And I think it even detects like growth spurts in plants and stuff like that. And it then translates that data into MIDI points. I love that. Yeah. So for those of people who don't know what MIDI, I can't remember what MIDI stands for now, but it's, it's essentially uh, data points that you can turn into audio essentially. So imagine you've got a keyboard going here on on the left-hand side and a timeline going on the right-hand side. You could put a dot on the key C and then you can assign an instrument to it and essentially you can play instruments through data. That's kind of what I used to do when I used to sample music and stuff like that. You just play something in the keyboard, it records it as a load of data points and then you assign different instruments to it. So that's essentially what it does is it takes the, the little data points, 
translates that into MIDI data. And then from then, you can then overlay instruments on top of it. So what they've done is you put this little thing in your plant, it translates that into MIDI, and then essentially it turns that into a song and it plays it audibly so you can listen to your plants. Which is... That is so cool. I actually just started a little, um, a couple of plants that had a growth spurt in the past few days. And I keep thinking that they're just growing at night when I'm not looking. Um, <laughs> so I've been wanting to put like a um, time-lapse camera on them or something, but I would love to wake up in the morning and just listen to how much they've grown. That's it. It's awesome. Midi sprout. There you go. That's what you need. Cool. Well, uh, anything else? Any other stories we haven't covered that you want to touch on? Anything else before we wrap up? I think there's one, uh, which is Jovo, our, our good friends at Jovo. I got an yes. email from them today saying that they've launched their, I believe they're calling it their marketplace. Oh, uh, yes. But essentially, Jovo is opened up to different integrations, different CMS, different uh, tooling, and they have released, yep, it is indeed a marketplace where you can find all of these. So just scrolling through. Uh, you can see things for the web, you can see ASR, you can see different NLU databases, uh, all of this. So uh, maybe not uh, news news, but definitely an easier way to to find what you're looking for in Jovo. It's pretty neat. Cool. So is that like a, um, would that be similar to, let's say you're in the middle of building something, you use that integration to integrate with like, I don't know, an S3 bucket rather than going a long way around it, it makes it a bit short and a bit quicker, or is it like a plug-and-play kind of thing? Or Yeah, I, with this new version of Jovo that they released in January, I believe, you could already do this. This is just an easier way to find all of that. So, yeah, certainly if you want to integrate with, say, Century or uh, Google Data Store, you can see on there as well, you can plug-and-play on that pretty easily. Cool. Got to love a bit of Jovo. Cool. Well... It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a, it's been a good one. We got through more stories than last week. It's pretty good doing a, a kind of quick fire sort of uh, run through. That was uh, that was good. So yeah, thanks uh, thanks both. Any any final thoughts? Any last words? What uh, what were we doing last week? It's what are you thinking about this week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So about, uh, yeah, you kick us off, Kane. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, what I'm thinking about this week, I'm thinking this week largely about. Um, it's kind of related to one of the stories we spoke about, which is uh, the HR um, Paradox AI system, which aims to, what it does basically is it finds those processes that are mundane or repetitive that can be automated and it automates them. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that. So I, we used to do a lot of this stuff uh, when I used to uh, manage the digital transformation team at my last place. And it's essentially, it's in line with uh, lean sort of process engineering where you just find all of the wasteful points and get rid of it. So it's almost the same kind of approach is that you would find all of the repetitive mundane bits that can be gotten rid of or automated and you automate them. And so I've kind of, I'm in the middle of reading a book now, I can't remember what it's called now, but essentially it's it's along those lines where it's trying to have you identify the things that you do over the course of your day that are either wasteful or non-productive or not contributing to what you actually want to achieve and how can you either automate them or delegate them or strip them out. And so that's kind of what I've been thinking of. And that kind of led me into the story, which we haven't covered actually yet, but it's... Um, a company called Siren who now have the the ability to do uh, Alexa voice service testing. So if you're going to put Alexa into a microwave and you want to get it through to certification to have it on the shelves, you need to implement it in the right kind of way. And this company offers um, testing of Alexa in hardware to make sure that you can do that effectively. And it got me thinking a little bit about the voice ecosystem and about where are those gaps in the ecosystem right now, in the projects that you work on, in the tools that you use, those little gaps where there are mundane, repetitive tasks that you could do with sorting out. And are there any opportunities for tooling that can help plug those gaps a little bit like Siren is doing on the testing side of things for, for hardware manufacturers putting Alexa into them. That was a bit of a long-winded way of saying I've been thinking about areas in my life that I can streamline as well as potential tooling that might be created to help people streamline their processes of creating voice applications. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, for me, I would say... Uh, so a good friend of mine, Adrian Batista, he recently went back to school. I think the same program that you went to as well, Claire, uh, NYU ITP. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, and every every year is it they have, I I always forget the term, is it you call it a science fair or what, what, what would you call it? 
It's the um, end of year show. Okay. Show. Yeah, yeah, you show off your projects. And um, I always really enjoyed going when I was in New York because uh, there's always some weird stuff. There's some useful stuff as well, but uh, definitely enjoy more of the weird stuff. I think a couple of years back, someone created this VR experience where you had to answer questions. And depending on whether you're telling the truth or, or lying, that your nose in the VR would would growers. Mm. Uh, and, and so, uh, they did theirs all through zoom, uh, this week. And so, uh, what I'm thinking about is the weird and, 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 and wonderful things, uh, like plants making music and stuff like that, that might use conversational, that might use voice, uh, things that maybe aren't super useful, but inspirational perhaps. Awesome. Nice. Nice. What about you, Claire? I've been thinking about an idea that I've had for a little while, but it was brought back up by this volcano story um, and a little bit by the read along. But um, I really want to identify drum sounds and um, be able to distinguish between the snare and um, the bass drum and everything else and create an application where I can um, hear a drum beat, play it, and then get feedback on how uh, well it was played. Was the timing right? Um, do I need to speed up? Uh, and then basically create um, an application to learn to play the drums better. Wow, that is pretty intense. Well, I would, I would, I would, I would iterate that application to translate the sounds of the drums into text to speech and have mm -hmm. Alexa read the sounds of the drums as the words, which would yes. be wicked. I love it. Have you, have you heard? There's a book called um, The Information by James Gleick. Are you okay. familiar with that one? No, no. Um, it's all about data really, but it starts with um, smoke signals and drumming and just talks about the evolution of communication, right. um, starting with those more primal ways of communicating. So in a way, playing the drums is sort of like speaking. So yeah. I think it works. Yeah. It, there's, a, there's a Jurassic 5 song, uh, and I can't remember which one it is, but I think it's DJ Newmark, who's the producer for Jurassic 5, and he, he essentially does like, there's very on, on some of the albums, there's like little just instrumental bits, and he just samples all kinds of random stuff, like blowing on glass bottles and stuff like that. And on one of them, there's this drum solo, and it's basically, there's a drum beat behind it, but it's just, the, it's just he's found some samples of people, and it's going, kick, snare, kick, kick, snare. Yes. It's just absolutely wicked. So if you could translate yeah. any drum beat into text-to-speech and then play it out, it'd be wicked. But there is already a, um, a guitar tuner no not a guitar tuner it's a guitar like it teaches how to play the guitar basically on google assistant uh, i think it might be it's not it's either the complete ear trainer justin guitar i can't remember what it's called now but on google assistant there is an action that um oh here we go building a is it guitar. detecting the notes yeah so I think it, oh, de cool. it detects what, what notes you're playing. And uh, there's a guy called Joe Birch who wrote about it on Medium in 2017. Um, and he goes through the whole process of uh, of doing it, basically, of creating it. I haven't used it because I can't play the guitar. I do have a ukulele downstairs, but I can't play that either. That's why you can't, you can't play the guitar because you haven't used it. Exactly, I haven't used this, this action. That's what I need to do. Yeah, that's that's good. So yeah, give me give me a shout when you've got the uh, the the drum the drum teacher that doubles up <laughs> as a kind of a, a drum text to speech translator. That'd be wicked. Yes. Cool. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. It's been a, an epic epic discussion. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Thank you Claire for for joining us. Uh, thank you Dustin as always. And as always, boys and girls. See you later. I mean, thanks first, but see you later as well. <laughs> Adios.